As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. So here is a headline from CBS this morning. Quote, undocumented transgender woman filing domestic violence claim arrested at El Paso courthouse by ICE, official says. The ultimate victim. We've found the ultimate victim. An illegal immigrant transgender woman abused by a domestic partner deported for the crime of showing up to a courthouse. Stop the presses. Here's some other media headlines about this horrifying story. ICE detains domestic violence victim in El Paso court. Huffington Post. ICE reportedly detained a domestic abuse victim who sought court protection. Newser. ICE agents arrest woman in domestic violence court. New York Magazine. ICE arrests domestic violence victim at Texas courthouse. The Washington Post. This is really unprecedented. ICE detains woman seeking domestic abuse protection at Texas courthouse. Even Fox News. ICE agents reported arrest alleged domestic violence victim at Texas courthouse. Now, here's how the headline should actually have read. ICE agents arrest repeatedly convicted criminal for deportation at courthouse. The transgender woman in question has been deported six times before and voluntarily returned to Mexico one other time. Here is the rap sheet for the transgender woman from 2013. Assault, probation violence, domestic violence, false imprisonment of a minor. That information, which seems sort of important, it's buried in the second to last paragraph of a 19-paragraph CBS News story. The Washington Post buried it in, buried it in paragraph 10. The Huffington Post didn't mention it at all. All of the stories mentioned a comment from the county prosecutor who said that ICE knew about the deportee's location because of an anonymous tip. The prosecutor suggested the tip came from the alleged domestic abuser, but then admitted she had no specific information that would lead her to that conclusion. There are provisions, by the way, in U.S. law that apparently prevent arrest of someone for immigration status based solely on reports from a domestic abuser. But you don't get the whole story from the media, particularly not from their headlines. The crusade is now on to find victims of the supposedly Gestapo-esque Trump immigration enforcement policy. And the media won't let inconvenient facts like repeat criminality of the arrested stand in the way. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. It's mailbag day. Yeah, we're going to get to the mailbag today. Everybody is very excited about all of it, but we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. First, we have to say thank you to our advertisers over at Zeal. So, if you are somebody who is desperately in need of, massa- of massage, and I am one of these people, I will admit, I get very stressed and, uh, and I require massages from time to time, Zeal is the place where you go to zeal.com and you, and you can get a massage at your house. They come to your house. They cater to you, and you can choose the kind of masseuse that you want, the type of massage. Uh, it's, it's on demand. It's at home. We tried it out. Actually, my mother-in-law came into town, and I was supposed to get the massage from Zeal, and instead, because I was a good son-in-law, I gave it to my mother-in-law. Our relationship has never been better. <laughs> it worked out 
Great. Our listeners get $25 off their first massage by using the promo code BEN at checkout at zeal.com. Right now, it costs about, on average, 20 to 50% less than if you go to a local spa or hotel. Plus, you don't have to actually go there and wait for an appointment. You actually make the appointment online on the, on the app, and then they come to your house, and the masseuses are absolutely first rate. It's like bringing a spa into your house. They bring all of the, all of the materials. They bring the table. They bring the, the scented candle, the whole deal they bring. Okay, it's zeal. It's spelled Z-E-E-L. Dot com and make sure to click the add promo code at checkout to use my promo code Ben. You get $25 off your first massage, zeal.com, or you can go to their iPhone or Android app. You get that special offer when you try Zeal today. They have about 8,000 massage, uh, massage therapists all over the country. Again, use that promo code Ben at checkout to get $25 off your first massage. They're the first and leading same-day in-home massage company, and I can vouch for their quality because, as I say, my mother-in-law has never been happy for having stolen a massage that was allotted to me. In any case, we begin. So, lots of good Trump, lots of bad Trump. Donald Trump has been a very, very busy president over the last 24 hours. So, we begin. So, we begin. Okay, so let's start with, uh, let's play the good Trump, bad Trump thing. We haven't done that in, in, a, in at least three hours. Let's do that. Yes, indeed you do. It's time for some good Trump, bad Trump. And who's coming? Who's got boom? It's good Trump. Yes, he's back. So after a week of stupidity about Michael Flynn, we now actually get some good Trump and not just good Trump. Great Trump. This is the best that Trump has looked in his presidency since he picked Neil Gorsuch. Here's where Trump is actually really good. When Trump has these sort of pre-scheduled events with people that he likes and he gets to play the triumphant conqueror, great, great. You know, with Neil Gorsuch, that event was beautifully staged, beautifully managed. He handled himself well. And then he did it with Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel yesterday. So Netanyahu shows up after eight long years of being out in the cold, thanks to President Barack, I'm not real fond of them, Jews Obama. Uh, and, you know, he, his, his anti-Israel policy is really <laughs> egregious. I mean, I talked about this for years when, when President Obama was president. Now, Donald Trump has come into office. Nobody really knows where he is on any of these issues. He's made overtures that make him sound very pro-Israel. He's obviously been very warm toward Bibi Netanyahu. And yesterday, he was extremely warm toward Bibi Netanyahu. He really reset the relationship. I mean, it was, it was the equivalent of handing Netanyahu a reset button. He basically said, we're here for you. We stand by you. We're not going to stand with terrorism. We're not going to stand alongside radical Islamic terrorists just because they have the, the modifier Palestinian by their name. And so Donald Trump shows up. And he stands along Netanyahu, and you can see the warmth. I mean, Netanyahu is so relieved that he doesn't have to deal with that jackass Obama anymore. <laughs> I mean, last time, Obama was the kind of guy who was making Netanyahu leave through the back door and getting all ticked off if Netanyahu spoke to a joint session of Congress and putting severe pressure on the Israelis at the very end of his tenure through not getting rid of, not vetoing bad UN resolutions. And so now Netanyahu comes to the White House, and he's actually, the, the red carpet is rolled out for him, and the event is really good. So here is, here is Donald Trump talking about a peace deal, and he does something that's pretty notable. He doesn't talk about the, the two-state peace deal. He doesn't talk about the idea of the two-state solution, which we'll talk about in a second. And I believe that the great opportunity for peace comes from a regional approach, from involving our newfound Arab partners in the pursuit of a broader peace and peace with the Palestinians. And I greatly look forward to discussing this in detail with you, Mr. President, because I think that if we work together, we have a shot. 
And Trump obviously agrees with that. And uh, you can see that, that, that Netanyahu is really, really excited that Trump is there. So Trump himself didn't talk about the two-state solution. And this has set the media off. Why didn't he talk about the two-state solution? Because the two-state solution is stupid. Okay, I knew it was stupid when I was nine, and they were doing the Oslo Accords. It turns out that giving terrorists a state is not a good idea. The Palestinian Authority was a terrorist group. It is a terrorist group. Hamas is a terrorist group. Islamic Jihad is a terrorist group. Giving terrorists a state is a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. And when you say we're making a peace deal, and the peace deal is going to be that at the end you get a state, you've already given up what you're negotiating. Right? There's no more negotiation. So why exactly would the Palestinians give up anything at that point? Why would they stop the terrorism? They know what the end point of this negotiation is, and they know that all the pressure is on Israel to concede things. Beyond that, the, the stupidity of Oslo was saying that, that the Palestinians have a right to an independent state. There is no such historic right for the Palestinians to have an independent state. That state was called Jordan historically. Right? When, they, when they partitioned British Mandate Palestine, there were, there were two states, right? There were, originally, there were, there were really only two states, and it was Jordan and Israel, and that was it. And then they sliced off another like quasi-little state, and that was the, the so-called West Bank and Gaza Strip, and the Arabs rejected that deal. So there's no history to having a, another, in a second Palestinian state in the region. Jordan is 70% Palestinian. The idea that it was, it was a foregone conclusion, the only way there was ever going to be peace was to put a terrorist group in charge of the West Bank and Gaza Strip. Absolute stupidity. When the Jews pulled out of the Gaza Strip, it immediately was turned into Hamasistan, which is an actual terror state. And, you know, the fact that, that everybody keeps glomming onto this two-state deal, this two-state solution, is really dumb. And it was really dumb for the Israelis to do it because it was basically suggesting that the Jews were interlopers in the region. That the Jews had to make some sort of deal to give away the heart of what it means to be Jewish, really. I mean, Judea and Samaria are the heart of biblical Israel. Giving away the heart of biblical Israel to the, the Palestinian Arabs suggests that they have a primacy of historical claim that simply does not exist. Oslo was foolish for that reason, historically, morally, politically, an abomination. And finally, recognizing that after 25 years of failure seems like a pretty good approach. It seems like after, after doing this for two decades of silliness, maybe we should try something else. Now, there are a bunch of different things that could be done here. One could be just a continuation of status quo, which is you don't get to ship weapons in. You guys get to handle your own crap internally. And as long as there's no terrorism, we can have free flow of people in and out of, of Palestinian areas without granting independent statehood. That's not an apartheid state. Okay? The United States basically has that sort of relationship with Puerto Rico. Right? Puerto Rico isn't a sovereign country. Puerto Rico is still administered. It's a, it's a territory of the United States, technically. They don't get to vote in the presidential elections. They're not American citizens. But the United States actually helps out in the administration of Puerto Rico. And so suggesting that this is some sort of apartheid state, if they were to come to this sort of arrangement, is silly. There's also the Carolyn Glick solution, which would be a one-state solution, which is basically Israel annexes everything. And then Israel actually gives citizenship to the Palestinians because, guess what? There are six million Jews in the area. There are only like a million and a half Palestinians. And that's not the world's biggest deal. So there are plenty of solutions other than we have to give an independent state to a bunch of genocidal people who wish to wipe Jews off the map. It's always funny. They always talk about the Jews participating in some sort of ethnic cleansing effort uh, by, by moving Palestinians. They never talk about the Palestinians forcibly moving Jews out of pa How many Jews live in, quote-unquote, Palestine? The answer is zero. Zero Jews live there. How many Israeli Arabs live in Israel? Over a million. So the idea that, that the ethnic cleansing is coming from the Jewish side is really quite spectacularly stupid. Getting rid of the, the idea that the Palestinians 
have to have their own state as a precondition for any negotiation is uh, is a good first step because if you're actually going to have a negotiation, everything should be on the table. Nothing should be off the table. The reason Netanyahu wants to bring in regional partners on the peace deal is because he knows that Jordan doesn't want the Palestinians. He knows Egypt doesn't want the Palestinians. He knows the Saudis don't want the Palestinians. He knows all of them oppose a Palestinian state. Here's the reality. Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, none of them want a Palestinian state. They all pretend they do for public consumption. None of them actually do. The reason they don't actually want that is because if there are a Palestinian state on the border of Jordan, it would immediately become a terror threat to Jordan itself. And the Egyptians don't want a Palestinian terror state on their border. They've been having all sorts of border trouble. Uh, uh, the, the leader, al-Sisi, has been having all sorts of border trouble with, with Gaza stand, with, with Hamas stand in Gaza, because Egypt is in control of the Sinai Desert, which runs all the way up to the Gaza Strip. So none of these countries actually want there to be a Palestinian state. Netanyahu knows that. That's why Netanyahu is saying we should have a regional approach here. Listen, Netanyahu, okay, the, the, the Israeli government has a has an on-the-table constant offer to the Jordanians that if the Jordanians want to take over all of the Palestinian territories, they can. You know what the Jordanians say? They say no. No one wants to be in charge of this. You know why? Because it's filled with a terror government. Okay, so Netanyahu says all of this, and then Trump says something that's not so good. He says that that, that Netanyahu should hold off on the settlements, and he does it in typical kind of Trumpian casual style. Here's what he says. As far as settlements, I'd like to see you hold back on settlements for a little bit. Uh, we'll uh, work something out, but I would like to see a deal be made. I think a deal will be made. I know that every president would like to. Most of them have not started till late because they never thought it was possible. And it wasn't possible because they didn't do it. But Bibi and I have known each other a long time. A smart man, great negotiator, and I think we're going to make a deal. Okay, so Trump. So, so this this is the part that's slightly disquieting. Is when Trump says things like, "I know we're going to make a deal." You know, what kind of pressure is he going to bring to bear? So far, so good. I don't see a lot of pressure. As far as him mentioning the settlements, I think that he does so because the State Department and people around him tell him he has to mention the settlements, so he looks even-handed. It doesn't make a lot of sense to to say that the two-state solution is not a precondition to negotiations, and then to say settlements have to stop is really kind of silly because the only reasons for settlements to stop is the idea that you're eventually going to transfer all of the control over that territory to this. This this growing terror state, this terror, this Palestinian terror state. That's the only reason you wouldn't want Jews building additional bathrooms on the back of their houses or building more settlements. Because the truth is, the, the the Arabs in Palestine, right? The Arabs in the Palestinian areas. There is no Palestine. Uh, the, the Arabs in the Palestinian-controlled Arabs uh, areas. Uh, they would be thrilled. I mean, re- realistically, they'd be thrilled if Israel would annex all the territory. There, there are constant polls showing that Israeli Arabs, given the option to move to Palestinian territories or stay in Israel, they all want to stay in Israel. Why? Because they have jobs, they're wealthy, they live free. And it turns out that the areas controlled by the Palestinians are kind of a crap hole because the administration there steals billions of dollars from their own people and takes all the foreign aid and puts it in their pocket. Netanyahu obviously is thrilled about all of this. He says, look, we don't need a two-state solution that ends with a terror state. What does Abu Mazen mean by two states, okay? What, what does he mean? A state that doesn't recognize the, the Jewish state, a state that uh, basically is open for uh, uh, attack against Israel. You know, what are we talking about? Are we talking about Costa Rica or are we talking about another Iran? So obviously it means different things. I told you what are the conditions that I believe are necessary for an agreement. It's the recognition of the Jewish state, and it's Israel's, Israel's security control of the entire area. Otherwise, we're just fantasizing. Otherwise, we'll get another failed state, another terrorist uh, uh, Islamist dictatorship that will not work for peace, but work to uh, destroy us, but also destroy any hope, any hope for uh, a peaceful future for our people. 
Okay, and all that Netanyahu says there is absolutely 100% true. So, you know, good, good, for, good for Trump for taking the, the blinders off with regards to this idiotic two-state solution nonsense. Uh, it's time to move beyond failed, failed attempts of the past and time to talk about realistic solutions in that area. Realistic solutions will involve security, not peace, but the security that's going to be arranged is not going to be on the back of setting up a terror state in the heart of Israel. That's absolute foolishness. Good for President Trump. Okay, so we now have to take our break over at Facebook and YouTube, but we have lots more coming up. We have to get to more of the fallout about Flynn, some bad Trump. We have to get to the media just making complete fools of themselves, the Republicans, all over themselves. Plus, we have the mailbag, so tons more coming up here on The Ben Shapiro Show. Go to dailywire.com right now to subscribe. $8 a month will buy you that subscription. You can see the rest of the show live. You can be part of the mailbag right now. We're going to be doing the mailbag in just a few minutes, and you get to be part of it. You get to send in your questions live, and I will answer them live and make your life 100% better. If your life is crappy, it will now be just glorious. It will be a utopia of happiness. If your life is already a utopia of happiness, well, then I will send you directly to heaven with the mailbag. So you can go to dailywire.com right now, subscribe. Annual subscribers get a free copy of the Arroyo fictional film about what's happening down at the southern border. Really good film about the, the crisis on the southern border with drug cartels coming across into Arizona and what one rancher does to, to stop it. Dailywire.com is where you subscribe or listen later at iTunes and SoundCloud. By the way, we are now ranked overall in the top 20 of all podcasts in the United States, not just political podcasts in the United States, all podcasts in the United States. I think we're ranked as high as 14 on iTunes right now uh, and climbing fast. So it's pretty, pretty cool stuff. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. All righty, so... Now on to bad Trump, unfortunately. There is some bad Trump. And the bad Trump is no one knows why he fired General Flynn. So we've now heard that the deep state is out to get Flynn, right? The, the people in the, in the intel bureaucracy, they don't like General Flynn, and they want General Flynn out as soon as possible. And that's why they were leaking all of this stuff. And we keep hearing that it's because he didn't like the Iran deal. Okay, maybe. Uh, they, we keep hearing that it's because they thought that Flynn was kooky. Okay, maybe. But here is the problem. Here is the problem. Okay, Donald Trump, here's what Donald Trump had to say yesterday, and this is the bad Trump. Here's what Donald Trump had to say yesterday about the press and about Mike Flynn. And, uh, okay, this is clip seven. Michael Flynn, General Flynn, is a wonderful man. I think he's been treated very, very unfairly by the media, um, as I call it, the fake media in many cases. And uh, I think it's really a sad thing that he was treated so badly. I think in addition to that, uh, from intelligence, uh, papers are being leaked, things are being leaked. It's criminal action, criminal act. And it's been going on for a long time, before me. But now it's really going on. And people are trying to cover up for a terrible loss that the Democrats had under Hillary Clinton. I think it's very, very unfair what's happened to General Flynn, the way he was treated, and the documents and papers that were illegally, I stress that, illegally leaked. Very, very unfair. As far as settlements, I'd like to see you hold back on settlements for a little bit. We saw that part uh, already. Okay, so the, the first part there about Flynn is the part that matters. So, okay, I just have one question. He keeps saying Flynn's a wonderful man. He was treated very unfairly by the press. People are out to get him. You fired him, dude. Okay, Jake Tapper didn't fire him. The New York Times didn't fire him. Thomas Friedman didn't fire him. I may not like a lot of the people I'm mentioning, but you're the one who did it. Okay, you don't get to say the press was unfair to him when you're the one who pulled the trigger. Okay, the intel community might be full of leaks, and that may be a really bad thing, and we'll talk about that in a second. But again, 
if you're so defensive about Flynn, why didn't you just keep him? I mean, you appointed him like 25 days ago and you fired him. I'm just I'm, I'm puzzled by this because I've seen no evidence whatsoever that Flynn did anything that's firing worthy. Talking to the Russian government while you're three weeks away from being NSA about sanctions is not firing worthy. And fibbing about it to Vice President Pence is still not fireworthy. It's not. I mean, this this notion, oh, well, the, the trust has been broken between Pence and Flint. Give me a break. Give me a break. There's a lot of bureaucratic idiocy that happens in any administration. This could have been solved with a simple apology. Flynn comes out. He says, I didn't tell Vice President Pence. It was a miscommunication on my part. My bad. Okay, so that means something else is going on. I still don't know. You know it, it, all The reason this is going to continue is because people have the same question that I do. Just as an intellectually honest person. And I understand that there are people who only want to discuss one side of this, and that is Trump versus the deep state. I get that there are people who only want to talk about this conflict. Trump versus the deep state, you have to be on Trump's side. I am on Trump's side in the Trump versus the deep state conflict. But there is another question, and that is, why did he fire Flynn? Is there something suspicious about that? Yes, it's sort of suspicious when you fire a national security advisor, and just saying that he was suddenly revealed as incompetent 21 days in, that doesn't really wash. Okay, so that's kind of bad Trump here. I wish that everybody would just come clean. I think there will have to be a Senate investigation into what happened with Flynn and why exactly Trump fired him. And Trump's going to have to do better than he was mean to my vice president. He's going to have to do a little bit better than that. And Jake Tapper makes this point. I think Tapper is exactly right on this. And I don't always back what Jake Tapper says, but Jake Tapper on CNN, he says, look, it's not, we, we didn't do this, okay? This is on Trump. If Trump fired him, Trump fired him. The media, of course, did not fire General Flynn. President Trump did. Now, what the media did do was revealed to the nation that General Flynn had lied to the country and to the Trump team, including Vice President Pence, when he claimed he never discussed Obama's sanctions on Russia with the Russian ambassador. President Trump knew this at least as early as January 26, but he did not act on this until the media revealed the truth to you and, as it turns out, to Vice President Pence, who learned about it through the media, sources say. The president reacted to this all on Twitter today, quote, the fake news media is going crazy with their conspiracy theories and blind hatred. MSNBC and CNN are unwatchable. Fox and Friends is great. Of course, these stories in The New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN and elsewhere are not conspiracy theories. These are news stories sourced by government officials. So and Tapper says, look, you fired him. Okay, the part that's true here is where Tapper says you fired him. As far as the stories, the stories are really overblown. They continue to be overblown, and the media continue to overplay them. So two things can be true at once. The media can be chomping at the bit because they think there's blood in the water about Trump. And at the same time, Trump fired him. Okay, Trump's going to have to do better than the deep state, the media this, the deep state. The, the, all of these defenses would make perfect sense if he had kept Flynn, right? If he keeps Flynn, all this makes perfect sense. He just says, look, I'm not firing him because the deep state's out to get Flynn. I'm not firing him. The media's out to get Flynn. There's no evidence shown that anything terrible has happened. We've already cleared this up internally. But he fired him, right? He did. Now, one of the things that allows Trump to get away with, with sort of redirecting to the media is the fact that the media are so over-the-top over the crazy. Uh, yesterday, Trump holds this press conference with Netanyahu uh, at, the, at the White House, and the members of the media are very, very angry. Why are they angry? Because there are two questions that are allowed to be asked. One is from Katie Pavlich, a friend of mine over at townhall.com, and the other is from some reporter at Christian Broadcasting Network. And the people in the media lose their minds. How could it be that they don't get a question? How does it AP not get a question? How does the New York Times not get a question? Jim Acosta goes on CNA, he says, the fix is in. Trump's only calling on friendly outlets. 
Yes, the two questions that were uh, asked uh, or, or called upon from uh, the president in this news conference went to the Christian Broadcasting Network, uh, which is obviously owned by Pat Robertson, the televangelist down in Virginia. It's a very conservative uh, broadcasting network. And townhall.com, which is a very conservative news website. And so in the last three news conferences, Wolf, all of the questions to the American news media have, have been handled by conservative press. And I, I think, Wolf, there's no other way to describe it, but the fix is in. This White House, this president does not want to answer questions, critical questions, about uh, his associates, his aides' contacts with the Russians uh, during the course of that campaign. Okay, so uh, and then ABC's Matthew Dowd, ABC News' Matthew Dowd, he says, this is a shutdown of the First Amendment. For him to only call on friendlier outlets, that's a shutdown of the First Amendment. Well, I was struck by when you look at this, this is two democracies, two important democracies in the world. And basically, the president of the United States is shutting down part of the First Amendment by not taking questions that are going to be anyway antagonistic in this. I think Stop he it there. That doesn't shut down the First Amendment. Barack Obama routinely called on friendly outlets. There's a point during his administration where somebody asked him about his emotion. They were asking him, like, what was the, what made him most emotional? I'm trying to remember all the, the there's so many bad questions that, that Obama was asked over the course of eight years. It's almost impossible to pick them out. It was always a rarity when somebody like John Carl at ABC News would ask him an actual tough question. So the idea that presidents pick and choose who they want to ask questions to, they all do that. Why don't we quibble with the content of the question? Katie Pavlich asked a pretty solid question. Her question was, okay, so President Trump, can we be a little bit clearer? When you talk about a compromise, what are the elements of the compromise that you'd like to see unfold? And Trump sort of avoided the question. The CBN broadcaster did ask about Mike Flynn, and that's why you got that clip of Trump talking about the media and the deep state going after Mike Flynn. So, again, the media make it very easy for Trump to target them when they are so crazy about trying to take down Trump and when they are so nuts about trying to take down uh, and trying to take down members of his administration and when they see themselves as their own little branch of the their own little fiefdom of the Constitution. Okay, when it says in the First Amendment that there's freedom of the press, that doesn't mean that press members are given additional freedoms. It's very dangerous when you think that the press has more freedoms than you or I do. Okay, the, the press does not have more freedom than you or I do. First of all, I'm a member of the press, but second of all, Anyone can be a member of the press. Journalism is an activity. It's not an identity. And when somebody says I'm a journalist, it means they perform acts of journalism. If you are out there performing acts of journalism right now, you are, for the moment, a journalist. And this idea that you get special privileges, if you're Jim Acosta at CNN or Matthew Dowd at ABC News, that somebody like Katie Pavlich doesn't because she's a conservative, that's just silly. And it's not a shutdown of the First Amendment when Donald Trump asks, uh, takes questions from friendlier outlets. Listen, would I prefer that he took harsher questions from people? Yeah, I would. Because I want those questions answered, too. But the media is so over the top in all of this that they're making fools of themselves. Now, with all that said, the Republican Congress is trying to figure out how exactly to deal with President Trump. And there's a lot of chaos about this. So there's basically, I would say, three perspectives on, on how to deal with President Trump. One is do Trump's bidding, right? If Trump complains about something, then go out of your way to go after it. So Jason Chaffetz in the House, he's the head of the, the Government Oversight Committee, he says we're going to need a full investigation of these leaks. I, I agree with him, by the way, but Chaffetz has become a real rah-rah Trump booster. A lot buzzing this evening about investigations. What can you tell us? Well, what we are going to do is send a letter tonight to the Inspector General. Uh, mishandling of classified information is something we have been keenly uh, concerned about in a variety of settings. Uh, but you have not only the President's communications, the National Security Advisor, uh, again, uh, I, it happened before, potentially happened before was, the president was actually uh, sworn in. Uh, but you can't mishandle uh, classified information. And so we want the inspector general to dive into that issue. As, and I totally agree with Chaffetz. But what Chaffetz is doing here, he's putting all of his focus on the leaks. 
there will need to be an investigation on Flynn and Trump and Russia. There will be. I'm sorry to break it to folks on, on my side of the aisle, but there should be an investigation just to clear Trump, right? If Trump is really innocent of all this, then let's just clear the air here because otherwise this will hang over him. Okay, just like Pigpen, the cloud will follow him around and it won't leave. The only way you're going to clear this up is if you actually allow a full-scale investigation and things will either be uncovered or they won't be uncovered. So far, nothing has been uncovered. If Trump has nothing to fear, then he really shouldn't fear the idea of a House controlled by Republicans investigating him. You know, the idea of appointing a special investigator, that always gets into dicey territory. Constitutionally, it's dicey territory, as Justice Scalia put it, because when you have a special investigator who's not answerable to Congress or to the President of the United States, then he's answerable to no one. And that's a problem because you really can't have somebody in the American government answerable to no one. But that said, there should be a full-scale investigation with all the questions asked and all the questions answered. I'm always in favor of investigations targeting members of the government because I think that everything should come out as soon as humanly possible. So angle number one is sort of the let's focus on the things Trump wants us to focus on. Angle number two is the kind of cautiously skeptical of, of Donald Trump. And both Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell fall into this category. Both of them seem to be uh, seem to sort of be ready to, they're on the fence with Trump, I think. I think if Trump does some stuff that's really egregious, they'll fall off that fence pretty quickly. Mitch McConnell, particularly, he came out and he says that Donald Trump needs to stay on message. He said that, you know, when he, when he won't stay on message, he's making everything harder for us. He says that Trump is creating theater aspects that produces distractions on a daily basis. You know, that's, that I think is, uh, is the typical view of a lot of the Republican leadership. So there are people who are loyalists to Trump. There's the people who are kind of on the fence, and Trump is going to have to woo them by being more disciplined. I think what he did with Netanyahu is disciplined. What he did with Gorsuch is disciplined. What he's been doing with Flynn is wildly undisciplined. And then there's the group of people like Lindsey Graham, and Lindsey Graham is, uh, is basically ready to jump on Trump with both feet no matter what he does. So here is Lindsey Graham, senator from South Carolina. But I would say this to the president. Until somebody looks at this outside your administration, it's going to be hanging over you and your administration, and we need to get it behind us one way or the other. If there were Trump officials, campaign officials, collaborating with the Russians, that is a big-time bad move on their part, and I want to punish Russia for interfering in our campaign even more aggressively than I do today. And any Trump person who collaborated with the, Russia, with the Russians, if they did, they should be punished. So Lindsey Graham can't be the point person on this because he's been so anti-Trump throughout. Um, but the, what he's saying here is true. But I think that there are people who look at Graham and they say, well, Graham's just out to get Trump. The Republicans, here's, here's one of the big problems that's happening right now. Donald Trump has been allowed to take such a leadership role in the Republican Party that Congress is not doing anything. There's a big piece in the New York Times today about this. We're now a month in. Name a piece of legislation that the Republican Congress has pushed. A major piece of legislation. Can you? Nope. You can name all of Trump's executive orders. You can't name a single piece of major legislation that the Republicans have pushed. They've sort of trimmed around the edges with the Congressional Review Act. They've repealed a couple of, of regulations that are kind of minor in scope. But the Republicans in Congress are sitting around waiting to see what Trump does. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. It seems to me that the Republicans in Congress, if they want to help Trump and help the, the conservative movement or even the Republican Party, they should be hard at work right now pushing forward a tax bill. And maybe they're not getting direction from Trump. Maybe Trump's just sitting around not giving them any direction. Maybe he's not negotiating. Maybe he's not. Like every day, Paul Ryan should be at the White House meeting with Trump about what kind of legislation they can form. That seems like that would be a better use of time than going out there tweeting about the media and fake news and all this crap. But the Congress better get active and they better get active quickly because they're abdicating responsibility for leadership to the executive branch. I mean, does the legislative branch even exist anymore? As somebody who likes the Constitution, the legislative branch was Article I because it is the prime, most important branch. 
Okay, all the branches are equal in terms of their powers, but that doesn't mean that the legislative branch doesn't have the prime moving force in driving policy. But you haven't heard any policy from the legislative branch so far. You see these kind of, these kind of dorky videos from Paul Ryan online where he talks about a better way and then nothing happens. They're not even pushing Obamacare repeal. We don't even know if that's going to happen. So far, the Republican Congress has been much more of a disappointment than President Trump. The Republican Congress better get its butt in gear. Because they're the ones who are supposed to leading, be leading this policy charge. People were promised, okay? You know, I didn't vote in the presidential election because I didn't think either of these two people met my minimum standard. But there were lots of people who did vote based on the promise that there would be great policy to come out and based on the idea that Trump would be elected and then Republicans would be elected to Congress. I did vote down ballot. I voted for Republicans in the House and Senate, and I voted for them because the idea was, okay, if you get Trump, then time to push policy. And if you get Hillary, time to check policy. But the Republican Congress needs to do stuff. And the fact that they're sitting around opining on Trump, letting Trump take the lead, it's not good for the party. It's not good for Trump. I mean, honestly, Trump in some ways has has gotten the worst of this deal because I think Trump his entire life has wanted to be the center of attention. Now he's the center of attention 24-7, and that light is pretty hot. I mean, there's a lot of blinding hot light coming down on him. It would be nice if the Republican Congress would absorb some of that with some good legislation. They're not doing it. Time for the Republicans to stop worrying about what Trump thinks or what Trump doesn't think, and pass some good legislation. Just get your ass in gear and do something. Okay, time for some stuff I like, some stuff I hate, and then the mailbag. So, things I like. We're doing children's material this week. There's this great series, uh, I'm, I think this is written maybe in the 30s, uh, called All of a Kind Family and by Sidney Taylor. And it's about this, this family, uh, father and mother, growing up uh, in turn-of-the-century United States, Jewish family growing up in kind of a, a poor area of New York, it's very cute. It's, it's kind of moving. It's, it's this family with five girls in it. So in my family, this is very popular. I have three younger sisters. Uh, and they all share a room. And it sort of teaches how kids should get along. It teaches how parents should treat kids. It teaches responsibility. It's a great series. It's a whole series, and it's, it's very charming. It goes through all the Jewish holidays. If you're Jewish, it's particularly charming. Uh, the, the book is All of a Kind Family, uh, really a lovely book. It's, it's, it's good for kids who are probably age seven and up um, the, the, who can sit through it. Uh, it's, uh, I highly recommend it, and I can't wait to read it to my own daughter. Okay, time for some stuff that I hate. So, there's a, the, the left is trying to come up with ways uh, to, to gain attention for their agenda. And this one, for some reason, I don't know why this is, there's all these women who think that the way, that, that it's very important that they not be ashamed of their period. I'm confused. Okay, I'm just confused. Well, I don't think that you should not be ashamed of your period. I don't think that you should be ashamed of your period, but I'm not sure why it's a topic of relevance. According to People magazine, Steph Gongora isn't ashamed of her period and doesn't think other women should be either. The yogi shared a video of herself on Instagram last week in which she performs a series of yoga moves while free bleeding, which I guess is a thing now, not using a cup, a tampon, or pad while menstruating through her white yoga pants. She says, I am a woman, therefore I bleed, she captioned the video. It's messy, it's painful, it's terrible, and it's beautiful. And yet you wouldn't know, because I hide it. I bury things at the bottom of the trash. I breathe, ragged and awkward through the cramps, all the while holding on to this tight-lipped, painted-on smile. Well, I mean, I, I would say that I think that it's probably nicer for everybody if you don't sit there in the middle of meetings and, and groan really loudly. Like, that's this uncomfortable. I think that they, we're not even showing you the the... the, the more uncomfortable pictures where you can actually see the free bleeding. Uh, but it's, um, it doesn't seem like something that ought to be particularly celebrated. Like it, it's, it's a bodily function. Do we celebrate other bodily functions? Do we free poop? I'm just, 
It's weird. Like, I just, I, I don't understand why this is a thing. Why, why? Why? Like, is there discrimination against women who are on their period? Is there, is menstruation something where we, we throw you out of the society? I'm, I'm, no. But is it also something where, do, do you want to see bodily fluids coming out of people of any type? I mean, it's gross enough when people are spitting all over the place. Is it's, you know, if, if your nose were running, should you free nose run? I don't think you should be ashamed if you have a cold. By the same token, I don't really want to see your nose run. Very, very weird stuff, but empowerment now means that you should be proud of every bodily function you have, which basically is how two-year-olds act. If you're two years old, this makes a lot of sense. If you're two years old, then, you know, you go to the bathroom and you look in the toilet and you cheer. When you're, when you're 30, you might want to get over yourself a little bit. Okay, other things that are just silly. So, Scarlett Johansson, the actress, she has now come out and she says that monogamy is not a natural thing. She did an interview with Playboy in which she talked about how monogamy is not natural. She said, with every gain, there's a loss, right? So that's a loss. You have to choose a path. I think the idea of marriage is very romantic. It's a beautiful idea. The practice of it can be a very beautiful thing. I don't think it's natural to be a monogamous person. I might be skewered for that, but I think it's work. It's a lot of work. Okay, that's true. So, you know, I, I like, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. Like, I don't know why this is some sort of revelation. Monogamous is not a natural thing. Monogamy is not a natural thing. First of all, it is more natural for men to be polygamous than for women to be polygamous. I mean, just biologically speaking, and that is because evolution, evolutionarily, it is, as, as they say in, in The King and I, man must be like honeybee, gathering all he can, right? I mean, evolutionarily speaking, the drive of men is to have sex with as many women as possible and therefore to propagate the species. The drive of women is to pick the best man possible in order to propagate the species because if you have sex with some doofus, then your kids are also going to be doofy. That's the, I mean, that's just the way that it works in, in most of the animal kingdom. It also works that way in primates, uh, and it works that way for, for human beings as well. But this idea that monogamy is not natural, and therefore what? Therefore what? Therefore marriage is not natural? Okay, so it's not natural. Guess what? Lots of things that are natural, as we just saw, are not necessarily things that are, are you know, phenomenal and we should brag about. Like, natural is natural, but natural does not mean good. Natural is just what it is. And so this idea that monogamy is not natural, therefore monogamy is something bad, lots of things are not natural. Civilization is not natural. Clothing is not natural. The cameras are not natural. Houses are not natural. If we got rid of all of those things, if we got rid of agriculture, which is also not natural, if we, if we got rid of all those things, then we could go back to living in forests and sleeping with everybody and dying at 23. And I think that, that doesn't seem pleasant. So I, I think what we should stick with the, the institutions of civilization is, is sort of the final case that I'm making here. Okay, time for some mailbag. Let's do some mailbag. But first, actually, we first have to say thank you to our sponsors over at Birch Gold. So I know people have been lonely for the Birch Gold read, actually. I've been getting a lot of notes saying, why haven't you read for Birch Gold in a while? Well, that's because Birch Gold is awesome, so we're going to do it now. So Birch Gold, if you're looking to invest in precious metals, Birch Gold is the way to do it. You need to go to birchgold.com slash Ben. They can help you get out of your IRA or 401k, move it out of stocks and into gold. If you are concerned the stock market is inflated and that you need to diversify, you need to talk to my friends at Birch Gold. I do own a portion of my assets in precious metals, and the reason for that is that everyone should own part of their assets in precious metals. You need to ask all your questions. You can call them up. You can you can go online. They have a 16-page free kit. They go online when you use Birch Birchgold.com slash Ben, you get that free kit, and that enables you to get information. Plus, you can then talk to them and make sure you ask all your questions. And then when you're ready to invest, talk to my friends at Birch Gold. Countless five-star five star reviews, A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, a long-standing track record of continued success. Go to Birchgold.com slash Ben. Okay, time for Z-Mailbag. Yay! So, okay, so we can ask live questions today, correct? 
Yay. Okay. So if you're online and you're a subscriber, then right now you can ask live questions. And if you're not subscribing and just listening on iTunes, what are you doing? Go subscribe at dailywire.com and then you too can be part of the mailbag. Okay. Thanos writes, when arguing over the merits of capitalism and how most notable scientific discoveries come from the free market, how do you counter that those that bring up the space race and the atomic bomb as successes of government intervention in science? The government is really good at war. The government's really good at war, and the government has to contract with, with private entities in order to do that. Right? I mean, they have to hire Einstein, they have to hire people at the Manhattan Project in order to develop nuclear weapons. You know, the space race, uh, it, was, it was a part of a military expenditure. Part of the function of government is to ensure the security of the United States and the security of its people and the defense of its people, and you have to develop products in pursuit of that. Now, is exploration of space something that couldn't happen couldn't have happened in private industry no i mean we're actually seeing it now right we're seeing elon musk uh, with spacex actually starting to explore space there are lots of private companies that have satellites in space uh that they that's how you watch your tv that's how you might be listening to this right now you know the fact is that that the atomic bomb could easily be developed by private entities if they wish to if they wish to expand that amount of energy this is why they're private sources for nuclear energy right you can develop a nuclear bomb with the same devices that you use to develop nuclear energy which is one of the problems with the Iran deal. So these things could have been developed by the private sector. There wasn't a lot of market for it. Is there a big market for the atomic bomb? No, that's why there wasn't developed. Is there a big market in space? Well, now there is, and that's why there is a pretty big space development industry. And a lot of the contractors with which the government contracts are private contractors. JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, is not government-owned. It's a private contractor. So, the, the, so the, there's a bunch of... Uh, so, so the fact that, that you have all of these uh, private entities the government contracts with doesn't mean the private entities wouldn't operate on their own. Peter says, which state do you think is the best in terms of its system of governing and sticking to the Constitution? Well, I mean, of all 50 states, look, I think Texas is well-governed. I think Oklahoma is pretty well-governed. I, I think there are a lot of states in the United States that are, that are well-governed. Uh, Texas right now is the most obviously good, um, but a lot of the kind of smaller Midwestern states are pretty well-governed. Bottom line is that it depends on who's in power. It depends on who occupies the state legislature. But you can certainly see the effects of a, of a well-run state legislature in order, to, in order to see. Jeremy says, I was wondering if you could explain the way your views are tempered by expressive of Torah values. I'm thinking in particular of your stance that rapists should be castrated or killed. This particular position doesn't seem to have backing in traditional rabbinic thought. Could you provide a basis for your position within Judaism, or is this an independent position? So here is my view about Judaism and its impact on public policy. The... The public policy of the United States does not need to reflect the Torah. It doesn't need to reflect Judaism. The Torah is reflected in my personal values. If I can't make a secular case for something that I believe in the Torah, then it's not something that should be reflected in the values of the country. Okay, And the reason I say that is because we, can, we're, we all have the capacity to talk at a secular level in terms of rational thought, but if I invoke the Bible, we don't all have the same background in the Bible or the same respect for the Bible or the same interest in the Bible. And so you can vote based on your biblical values, but I think it's a mistake to talk based on your biblical values as opposed to finding secular rationales for values that you have that spring from the Bible. As far as the, the Torah position on rape, uh, that's rather controversial. Um, you know, rabbinically, there were punishments for rape that didn't exist in the original Torah. Uh, and, uh, and originally, I mean, if, if there's a rape, in a, it, actually, there is a death penalty for, for rape if, if, if for an engaged woman in the Torah. If, if, if a woman is, is raped in a field and she screams and she's engaged, then the, the 
person who raped her is put to death. So there is background for rape, in the, for death penalty for rape uh, in the Torah, although it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, Bunbury writes, in 1855, not many people could even imagine there would be a civil war. Amidst such lawlessness and Democrat strongholds and the rise of violence versus political opponents, how do we balance federalism with what seems to be open treason by certain states on multiple fronts? So I think that your focus on states is the correct one, Bunbury. I think that, you know, the fact is that and the reason that the Civil War happened is because there were states that were opposed to the federal government. It wasn't a bunch of localities. It wasn't a bunch of it wasn't a bunch of random people who decided to take up arms against the federal government. That had happened in U.S. history before. Right? It actually happened with Shays' Rebellion. We had to call George Washington to put it down in the early days of the Republic. There was a or the Whiskey Rebellion, um, but that is not the same thing as the Civil War. In order for there to be a Civil War, there has to be some sort of government. Uh, some sort of government entity going up against the federal government. And right now, there's no government entity willing to go up against the federal government. No state is willing to go up against the federal government. California ain't going to war with the feds, and neither is Texas for the moment. Now, things could change. Things could change. But I think that uh, the bigger federal government gets, the more overpowering federal government gets, the better the chances of a civil war. The smaller the federal government gets, the more states are left alone, the less chance of a civil war. Uh, Alex says, bruh. In light of the media meltdown about General Flynn, can you explain the Iran-Contra debacle? It's hard to find an unbiased breakdown of what happened. I hate to see my boy Reagan take that much heat. Namin, thanks, fam tope. Okay, well then. Uh, don't know what any of that means. Uh, as far as the Iran-Contra debacle, uh, the Iran-Contra debacle was basically that the Reagan administration was attempting to found, fund the Contra, the anti-communist Contras in Nicaragua. Uh, the Congress of the United States, run by Democrats, refused to allow money to flow to the Contras in Nicaragua because a lot of the Democrats were, fun, were fans of the communist Sandinistas. So the Reagan administration made a deal with the Iranians in which they would basically they would basically sell weapons to the Iranians in exchange for the Iranians releasing American hostages, and then they would take that money and they would give it to the Contras. That was the basic deal. Now, is that any worse than anything that the Obama administration has done? Not really. The fact they kept it secret from Congress, that was a violation of the law. People were indicted, uh, and it was a major scandal. It was a major scandal. Reagan claimed that he didn't know anything about that. You know, not sure whether that's credible or not, but that's sort of the simplest breakdown of what Iran-Contra was. Uh, Tom says, what is the biblical argument for Judaism over Christianity? You know, I, that would actually take a whole show, and I think that in order to do that fairly, it would be interesting to have on, like, Jeremy Boring, somebody who's a, a lay pastor uh, or a pastor, and we can actually have a conversation about sort of biblical arguments. And the basic Jewish, Jewish argument is that Judaism does not see the Messiah as the Son of God, the right hand, uh, as, as, a, as, a de- as a deity, any form of a deity. Judaism sees the Messiah as a human being who is going to perform certain Specific functions, the reestablishment of the temple in Jerusalem, uh, the recreation of a biblical state in Israel, uh, the, the recreation of, uh, of a Jewish state. There are some Jews, actually, who think that the Messiah has already come in the form of Theodore Herzl, the guy who is the father of Zionism. Uh, so, as you can see, the vision of the Messiah in Judaism is very different than the vision of the Messiah in Christianity, uh, a, de- a deity who's going to come down and provide you with, with uh, some sort of uh, savior uh, you know, that, that is not something that, that, Jewish, that Judaism embraces. So uh, Judaism rejects the idea that there's anything that happens beyond what we call the Tanakh, which is the, the Torah and the, and the prophets and the writings. After that, the canon is closed. And Drew says, is tuition-free college a bad idea? Yes, it's a terrible idea. The reason it's a terrible idea is because it doesn't provide incentive for people to actually go into majors that matter. Instead, they have incentive to go into lesbian dance theory. Because if you can get the government to just pay for your education, you may as well take the thing that's the most fun. What we really should do, if you made it private, then private companies would give you loans in order for you to get degrees in, in areas that matter. I didn't have a problem getting private loans for my degree in law at Harvard because they knew I was going to pay the loan back. 
I'd have a little bit more problem getting a loan from Bank of America to major in lesbian dance theory. They know they're never going to see that money again. All right. Uh, do we have time for one more? One more. Um, let's see. Um, chew, uh, sorry? Was, okay. Um, dear Ben, I haven't heard you mention it, so in case you didn't know, Zoe Turr is not the most delusional man in his family. Zoe is the father-in-law of Keith Olbermann. I did not know that. Um, is that fact-checked? Yeah, we checked. Wow. Wow. Well... Then, I, honestly, I feel bad for the one married to Keith Olbermann. That's I mean, that's that's a life right there. I mean, uh, Keith, uh, Keith. Ol- I, first of all, I was I was I wasn't even aware that Keith Olbermann was married. I thought he was married to his cats. I mean, it, every time he's on TV, he's, he's like wrapped himself in a flag, and he looks like he's he's sitting in a lonely basement somewhere, watching pornography on his grandmother's television. Uh, so I'm I'm just I'm confused that he's married. But okay, that's that's well, you know. Every family's got some oddities. So that's, uh, I guess, that Keith Olbermann takes the cake. All right. Well, unfortunately, that brings us to the end of the mailbag. The rest of you will all have to wait until next week. But if you subscribe right now because you're listening at Daily Wire, then you can be part of the mailbag next week. Unfortunately, that also brings us to the end of the week, which is sad because, I mean, come on. You wish there were more of me, but there isn't. So you'll have to come back on Monday when there will be more of the Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 